When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody. Welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in tonight. I got a great show for you, okay? This is going to be an excellent conversation and one that a lot of people don't get to have. Let me ask you a question. Do you have anybody in your life with whom you can completely be yourself? No filter, no change. You don't have to adjust any parts of who you are. Let's just be honest. Very few of us have anybody with whom we can completely be ourselves. We're always having to adjust and negotiate and compromise and sublimate parts of who we are to accommodate for the sensibilities, proclivities, and tastes of the people around us. But who would you be if you didn't have to do that? Who would you be if you could just say what you want feel what you want and do what you want and you knew that nobody would judge you if that's the person i want you to be and that's what i want for my guest tonight welcome to the show nadia hey nadia thank you for having me how are you doing today it's my pleasure to have you i'm doing very well i'm excited uh, for this conversation um so before we get into all the serious stuff let me ask you a goofy question. I'm assuming you listen to music. Um, so I'm gonna ask you a music question. It has nothing to do with the rest of the show, okay? We will not come back to this, I'm sure. All right, <laughs> here it is. Prince or Michael Jackson, which one do you choose? Yikes. I mean, I think I'd have to say Michael Jackson, even though Seven by Prince is one of my favorite songs of all time. Okay, but why Mike? I think Michael Jackson, just because his whole portfolio, I relate to more. I think Prince is actually a little bit, I always say my taste buds are kind of like very basic and even some of my music choices are, are basic and that's not to diss Michael Jackson at all. But Prince has such a sophistication that mm. maybe I can't even appreciate. Okay. I think real music heads. I I like the more like pop, keep it in the middle for music. Okay. That was actually a really good answer. That was thoughtful. Okay. <laughs> I thought, because um, somebody asked me that, it would have been a real, a real goofy answer, but yours was thoughtful. All right. <laughs> Let, let's get into it because a part of why you are here tonight is because you consistently are misinterpreted by people in your life and around your life. But here's my question. How would you describe yourself? Mm, overall, that's a great question. Um, 
I would describe myself as someone who's kind of honest. I'm, I'm brutally honest, right? Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes how people see me, whether people see the exterior and hear my voice, they don't see a lot of what I have to say coming, if mm. you know what I mean. So in terms of, I see myself a straight shooter, straight to the point. I'm not sure if you're familiar with a lot of Virgos. A lot of us tend to be the same, um, speak our mind. But um, especially once you get to know me a little bit more, my purpose, I found out what my purpose in life is, and it's to be a Pan-African activist. And with activism comes so many layers and struggles and and different things. So who I am, I'm a Pan-African activist. Mm, mm. Now tell me what people often get wrong about you. What is the basis or the most common misinterpretation? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest struggle that I have is just kind of being my authentic self, meaning all the different values things, and just like I mentioned, my purpose and trying to change the whole dynamic and perspective and future for the black race with that comes so much and i think where i'm misinterpreted is just even in the workplace maybe even sometimes with family even sometimes with friends i think one is sometimes people assume how you're going to be or what you think mm. um, so i'm misinterpreted in terms of just like when i do actually use my voice and i speak my voice and i say what i feel Nine times out of 10, people are shocked <laughs> with what I have to say. And so I don't know where the disconnect oh, hold is. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Is that, is that because you don't look like what's coming out of your mouth? I, I think that could be. I think, you know, sometimes I like lean on family members. I'm like, what is it? And people do. I forget how much people judge you just by your appearance or, you know, mm -hmm. I live in LA. Um, I work in LA. Maybe my, maybe my fashion sense, how I dress. So some people assume different things about me, right? And then when they really get to know me, it's a contrast. And I think the main reason why I was so excited to talk to you is just mainly just the struggle of, I want to be my authentic self everywhere I go. Yeah. But sometimes I'm faced with so many different struggles in it's jarring my yeah. perspectives and what I have to say, even with work, I, I can lose I definitely, if I said what I felt all the time, I would definitely lose my job. I definitely would not be hired because um, in the industry that we work in, it's predominantly white, right? Yeah. And especially at work, there's lots of perspectives that you need to give your viewpoints. And sometimes I do have to water myself down or censor it just for other people's comfort levels and convenience where the older I get, the more I'm not going to do that. And so, you know, mm. there's repercussions sometimes with being honest and truthful and. and yeah, listen, listen, the truth will make you free, but it will also create distinctions and out of distinctions grow adversaries and enemies. So anyone who bears the truth in their mouths must be prepared for the repercussions that come along with being a truth teller. I think that's what a lot of people in our culture miss, right? Folks want to tell the truth, but they're not ready to live with, with what telling the truth comes along with. So let me ask you this. Um, how do people, let, let, let's set aside the truth for, for a moment. Let's, let's, let's buttress that. And so I perceive you as having a strong um, personality just in our interaction. And I mean that 
in a in a in a complimentary way. Okay. How do people respond to your personality? Are people drawn to you? Are they put off? What's that dynamic? Um, I think it, uh, it depends on the situations because also too, I'm very much, um, depending on the environment you meet me, you probably would think I'm completely different in every environment, even though I'm being myself. So I don't think most people would think I have a strong personality. I think in most situations, I'm actually very calm, reserved. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's only kind of when I'm comfortable and I open up and, you know, you're, you're, it's so easy to be comfortable with you. Like, I think you're going to get, you know, all of me, but I think most people, um, reserve button up, but, but how do people perceive me? I think people are actually, um, I don't know the word. Okay, I always say this sometimes. I think I'm the type of person when you first meet me, you're not going to like me. And then when you get to know me, you're, you fall in love with me. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Tell me why that's your self-perception. What's the, what's the story behind that? Because that, ha um, that has a history. Sure, just even in social settings, you know, like let's say parties, gatherings, when you're meeting new people, I'm not the networker. I'm not the social butterfly. Mm. And I think sometimes... People don't know how to take, like, I, small talk is not my thing, Dr. Sean. I'm actually very literal. And so I think sometimes in that initial meeting, I might come off as cold to people. They might read it as cold or aloof or a cool kid or not interested when that's furthest from the truth. But I think certain social nuances and things, I'm not going to fake it. Um, just because. Okay. I, okay. Hold on. Hold on, Nadia. Hold on, because I want to challenge you just a little bit and ask: Do you think that way of being in the world allows people to get to know, to know rather, the real you? Um, you're absolutely right, and possibly not. And then maybe I guess this is going to go a little bit deeper now that I'm thinking about it. Maybe I don't really want everyone to know the real me. Hmm. Um, and, and not even the real me actually, like I, I don't mind people knowing the real me, but just in general, I realize I'm actually an introvert. Mm. I actually am not really like, uh, um, people's energy. I, I'm an empath too. So I actually, now that I think about it, I like that barrier and I like, you know, so maybe it is not conducive for certain things, but maybe that's what I but, want. But, because cause your face changed when you said that, especially when you mentioned that you were an introvert. And what I'm wondering is, how is it, and, and there may be no answers to this question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. How is it that someone who wants to be known and wants to be understood and wants to be heard, and legitimately so, would at the same time, feel comfortable behind a barrier that pre prevents her from being known, understood, and heard? Well, I guess there's there's two sides to that coin, right? So I have a brand, Square Huxtable, where that's where I speak my purpose, and that's almost the platform for me to do that. But I guess me in my separate life and me going to social events, I do see those worlds separate whether that makes sense or not. So 
I guess. When well, it, I... It, ma it, ma it makes sense. But when I'm asking, nothing about your political or, you know, racial strivings, right? Let All that's a given. I'm just saying, when you go out to a party, right? Yeah. And, and they're playing Prince and Michael Jackson, all right? <laughs> and you getting your groove on, uh, and there are a bunch of people there. Are you interacting with the room? Are you are you having conversation, or are you the person that's more a bit more standoffish, cautious, allowing that barrier to do the talking? Yeah, I guess it it, it can be both. It can mm. be both. It really just I guess depends on the room. Um, mm. For example, I lived in Jamaica as well as I live in Los Angeles, and I and I feel like both Kingston and LA is our home. And for some reason, I come alive in Kingston. I'm very social in Kingston, maybe because I'm kind of meeting more like-minded people or like energy people. I don't know what that is. But let's say here in LA, I probably would be at an event and not necessarily working the room, interacting room. But this is not to say, like I'm not a rude person. Like when people come up to me, I'm engaging, you know, but I'm just not, I guess I'm not a social person. And and I mean, I'm okay with that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm a little skeptical because, because I've worked with a lot of people who were introverts, right? And I've discovered that most introverts on some level wish that they had more of a proclivity to be in a relationship and conversation with people. They're fine being who they are, but there is in them a subtle, even if it's just subtle desire to be a bit more social, a bit more accepted and understood. And here's what I know for sure. There isn't a human being on the planet who doesn't want to be ultimately understood. Sure, I guess two things. Um... I guess I, I wouldn't mind being more social, really, just for other people, not for myself. So in terms of, I don't, I, honestly, Dr. Sean, I don't have a problem with it whatsoever. And, mm -hmm. and I sometimes live in my own world, in my own bubble, maybe to a, a fault. But in terms of when I say for other people, um, I don't want to make other people uncomfortable. So I think mm. other people tend to maybe get uncomfortable if, let's say, it's even for example, I don't drink or I rarely drink. And sometimes even just in social settings, it's off-putting to people. They're like, come on, I'm having a drink, have a drink. And I'm not really easily malleable. And mm. so, you know, I think, yes, I understand what you're saying. Maybe I might want to be a little bit more flexible for other people's sake, but for mine, no. Really? That's, I, that's interesting. Now, I respect it. But but it, it is interesting because because there are two sides of that equation. It's not just about you coming outside of the barrier. It's also about letting people inside of your feelings, journey, and narrative. And personally, I think both sides of that happen to be important for us to be healthy. We have to come out and we have to let people in. And the sense I get from you is that you are at least in part trying to be considerate because there are things and opinions and views that you have 
that you don't necessarily want to share that might put people off. Here's my question. We'll answer it on the other side of this break. What would you like to say to people that you don't always feel comfortable saying in the presence of mixed company? Don't answer now. We're going to take this break. And I can't wait to hear this, all right? Don't y'all go nowhere. We're going to hear everything she wants to say right after this. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to my sister, Nadia. And um, Nadia, before we took our break, I promised everybody I was going to ask you this question. And um, here it is. So what would you, if you could say anything, right, if you could have free conversations with the people in your life, what are some of the topics you would love to be able to cover that maybe you can't cover now because you don't know how it's going to come across? Well, one of the biggest ones is religion, religious talk, right? That is always such a perplexing avenue to navigate, right? My views, especially in terms of, let's say, stereotypically with the Black race, I used to be Christian. And the more I've delved into doing the proper research and different understanding of kind of our real history, not the history that they've lied to us about, and realizing kind of who we are and what benefits us, I realized that Christianity ain't it. And that is a harsh conversation to have with mm. a lot of people even that I used to go to church with. I have friends that I used to go to church with all the time. And even not only, I'm not a type of person that I feel like I need to convert other people, but even just to speak my truth and my faith and what I believe in, that's something you can't necessarily say everywhere. Mm, mm. Um, are you able, because that's a great example. That's a great example. Are, are you able to have conversations like that very one with, say, your family? Can you talk to your family about something like this? Yes, yes. Luckily, okay. like, my family is super supportive. And my family, I think, partially why my purpose is my purpose is because of my family. They, you know, pass the baton. They're very conscious. I was raised very conscious and, and loving my Blackness and loving everything, the Afrocentrism part of me. But where some of the roadblocks with my family might be, even in that religious category, like holidays, right? Like, you know, family wants to come together for Christmas. I don't celebrate Christmas mm. you know, anymore. So I think they're supportive. But to be honest, there is sometimes it's like, if I really said what I feel, it's kind of like, oh, don't bring the moment down. Like, let's just like kind of pretend and have fun for this moment, you know? And I understand that side, but then I also understand my side when I kind of know what is attached with some of this and the, the importance of it. It's kind of sometimes why I have to be so steadfast. Well, let, let me ask you this. Have you had an opportunity to sit down with the people in your life, family, friends, whomever, and really get a chance to say a lot of the things you want to say, let's say about religion, about Christmas, about Easter, whatever your views and thoughts are, so that you can get it out, so that you can say it, right? And then move from there to being able to know, I said my piece, they know what I think, I've tried to educate and give them opportunity for transformation, but I also want to respect 
and have negotiation with where they are. And I'm, my point is, maybe if you have a chance to say, here's everything I, I think about this, 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 and this, you might feel better being in those moments and not feeling like I'm holding something back. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I have done that with my immediate family, but in terms of my wider extended family, no, I haven't done that. And I think that's a great point. I think sometimes, even though I know, maybe, but I shouldn't even know, maybe I'm assuming the reaction, um, it's best to just do it once and then, you know, go from there. And you know, you know what I found? I have found that people can hear almost anything that you have to say if you tell them the story that leads to the truth that you're about to speak. If you just give them the truth, they'll respond to the bottom line. But if you give them the narrative, and more importantly, what it means to you, what it's done for you, how it's transformed you and liberated you, then even if they disagree, they will be able to say, wow, I don't agree with what you're saying, but I'm happy for what it's doing for you. What do you think about that? Well, I love your optimism, Dr. Sean. I love your optimism, but I'm just thinking in my head about especially one auntie that I have that this would be a blowout conversation. And the reason why I say um, sometimes people aren't even able to hear you because even with certain religions, I think it's taught to us that anything outside of these parameters and walls is either demonic mm. or witchcraft or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so I think it can be a little bit more than like someone hearing my journey and my truth. People might feel that, that I mean, it's blasphemy or it, you know, and, but but that, but I'm at the point in my life that it really doesn't matter. Like at a certain standpoint, like I oh, but, know. But Nadia, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. I agree on a certain level, but on another level it does. And I'll tell you why, for two reasons. Number one, if what you believe in what you have is the truth, then you have responsibility to share it. That's one. But two, yeah. these are people with whom you have relationship and connection and you deserve the opportunity to be authentic in their presence while at the same time allowing them to be the same. So here's what I'm suggesting. Let's say with that aunt or whomever it is that instead of the conversation beginning with what you bring to bear, ask them about what they believe means to them, how they came to it, right? Their journey to faith. And, and what aspects of it has transformed and changed their lives so that there is in that conversation the sense of a genuine interest, not just in telling your story, but listening to theirs. Now, now this aunt may not agree, right? She may still say, you are blasphemer and on your, <laughs> and on your way to hell, but at least, here it is, you ready? at least she will know that your heart was in the right place, that your intentions were in the right place. She may disagree with the content, but she can't argue with your spirit. No, it's a great point. And I'll definitely, I'll definitely try that. Like, I think something that you just said really resonated with me in terms of like, it's your responsibility to tell the, 
the truth, especially when it comes to matters like this. I don't take that lightly whatsoever, mm. but I think that's why I have the platform that I have to speak on that. And I didn't even tell a lot of my family or even some of my friends about that platform. And I know that might seem, you know, strange, but I guess the reason why is I want people who naturally gravitate and, and, and need this content to come to it instead of necessarily trying to drag people there. Like, so in terms of like, I feel like the black race, we have to wake up in terms of certain things and there's certain brainwashing that's been done to us and we're all in a journey to, to wake up. But I, I don't know, I guess I've always just thought that I want to be there for people when they're waking up to find me. I don't necessarily want to be like shaking people to wake up. And I guess I always looked at even me just sharing some of this with certain people that I know would be kind of against it as shaking them. But you're right. It's not, you know, they, they need to know who I am and what I think and kind of just leave it at that and what comes. Yeah. And, and what, what I'm inviting you to invite them into is not just the principles or the belief, but into your story, how you came to this moment and what you had to struggle through and what your former way of being in the world of thinking or believing, what it did to you, what it denied you of, the kind of bondage it kept you in. And, and see, people will line up with you two times as fast when you give them the journey and not just the conclusion. Does that make sense? Yes, you just said a word, Dr. Sean. You just said a word. <laughs> no, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm excited we had a chance to talk. Um, let me ask you a question, um, because I think, I think you would do well with this. When I say the word freedom, what comes to mind? Freedom, I think of freedom not only externally, but mentally. And so freedom is where you can be, and, and I actually really attach freedom with the black race. Obviously freedom spans all races, but when I hear freedom and like let freedom ring, I think about us waking up and uniting and being able to be who we were meant to be in this world without mm -hmm. oppression and oppression externally and internally because half of the battle is with ourselves. Yeah. And within our own. Yeah. Okay. Before we go, I'm going to do one more thing. Tell me about a day in your life when you experienced your own personal freedom. Mm. That's a great question. I think it was the day that I could talk kind of to the world because I'm a TV producer by trade, right? And I love being behind the scenes. Um, I've never like, so basically having to come and realize that, okay, through me, I was given this calling to speak on certain topics. I need to tell this to as many people as possible. And especially there was this one specific thing that I was talking about that I did not want to talk about, but I truly believe I was called and it was so freeing once I was able to get my true authentic thoughts to the world. Cause especially just like you mentioned, like I know my intent and I know how many people hopefully that this can help hearing things like this. And luckily it, 
it, it, it worked in terms of the, the resounding, I, I, I just realized how many people I was helping. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was such a freeing, powerful moment to know that it's not kind of just about self, you know, it's not just about like, there are other people that there's something that I have for this world that the world might need and, and vice versa. Yeah. Listen, I, I'm, I'm out of time, but, 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 but no, it's fine. But let me, let me say this because I asked you those two questions in tandem. The first question was a philosophical question about how you understood the content of the concept of freedom. The second question was an existential question. It's how you've experienced it. And what is the story of the day you came into freedom through the prism of your own life? And so that question requires you tell me what time of day it was. What, 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 what color were the flowers, right? What did you eat that morning, right? What were you wearing? See, it's, it's much more narrative. And I asked you those two questions because I think you're really great at the philosophical part. And I think you're gonna have to improve at the narrative part because both of those things together are gonna win the people in your life to have a better understanding of how great you are. Thank you. See there? <laughs> Thank you, Nadia. Thank you, Dr. Sean. It's my pleasure. Listen, everybody, we come back. I got some aha moments I want to share with you. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Let's do an aha moment. Highly play the bumper, man. See, it was an interesting conversation in this sense. I think sometimes when we come to conclusions and we have beliefs and principles that we live by, we often think that those beliefs and principles are the things that make us most interesting. And so what we offer to people are the conclusions because we think that that's the thing that makes us tenable. When the truth of the matter is, as we just saw, a lot of what we need to be doing is rediscovering the journey and the story so that we can tell more of a holistic truth because it isn't just the destination, it's the journey that makes you interesting. And people can line up with you and receive you and accept you when you tell them what you've been through. When you hide the story, you don't give yourself an opportunity to have the empathy, the compassion, the solidarity that you deserve. Just telling somebody what you believe is not enough if you wanna win them either over to your side or into your heart. Tell people the journey and become proficient at telling your story because when you tell it, can't nobody else tell it for you and nobody else can manipulate you with the details of your life. Yeah, that's good. All right, let's do some Ask Dr. Sean people. Highly, you know what to do. You guys always send me amazing videos, and this is no different. Let's take a look at it. Hi, Dr. Sean. I'm Keita. I have a question. Do you think it's rude to turn down someone's request to be their child's godparent? No, I don't think it's rude 
uh, especially if you don't believe or have the same value system that makes being a God parent tenable. I think it's better to be honest, right? And as I was just saying, it's also probably a good idea to tell people why you don't want that responsibility. Um, not everybody's ready for that. Not everybody feels like they're close enough to the family or to the kid to want to take on that responsibility. And being godparent comes with a responsibility, right? And if you don't want that, it's better to be honest about it, right? And to let people know that's not where I am in this season of my life. Don't put that on me. Thank you that you would, and I would say this, thank you for, for the fact rather that you would consider me for something as special as that, but I'm just not ready. You know what I'm saying? I can't even take care of a cat, let alone a kid. Um, I think it all depends on how you approach it and how you go about letting people know that you need to be relieved of responsibility. Now be prepared for the fact that the, the parents may not understand, they may take it personal, but it all depends on how you communicate the information. You know, just saying no is probably a recipe for desire, but being able to tell someone that you're not ready sounds a lot better than saying you're not interested. And it's just finding the right words to allow people to hear what you want to say, but as I always say, in a way that they can hear it. People have asked me to be the godparent for their child, and I said no, because I don't want that responsibility. I'm not close to you like that. And I'm not close to your kid like that. And I didn't say it like that, but, <laughs> but you know, I let it be known like, oh, you know, I'm sure you got some closer friends and some family members. Why don't you give someone else that honor? I'm always gonna be there. And the way I did it was I said, I don't need a title. See, that's how you do it. I don't need a title. My love, support, resources are going to be there for your child until death do us part, right? So I don't need the title. Give the title to somebody else who needs it. See? See how good that was? It all depends on how you say it, okay? So don't just walk in there and be like, I don't want to be the godparent. Uh-uh. I'm done. No, don't do that. Walk in there and be able to let people know that the connection is, is strong, but that responsibility, that title, is something you could do without, okay? The best line is, I don't need a title. So, I'm done with that. Let me read this question, I'll answer it on the other side. Someone DM me. I don't like the woman my son is in a relationship with. She is rude, arrogant, and disrespectful. He told me that he plans to propose to her over the holidays. Should I be honest with him about how I feel about her or mind my own business? Ooh, that's a question. So while we take this break, what would you do? <laughs> I'll tell you what I would do right after. Welcome back, everybody. So let me read the question again. Someone DM'd me and asked, I don't like the woman my son is in a relationship with. She is rude and arrogant and disrespectful. He told me that he plans to propose to her over the holidays. Should I be honest with him about how I feel about her or mind my business? All right. This is a good question because if you are 
a parent of adult children, at some point you may have to deal with this. And that is your child is in love with someone you don't like. It's, it's, it, 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 it might happen. I've been there. But let me tell you what I did. I mind my business. <laughs> I have nothing to say about who my sons date unless I'm asked or unless I see something that is completely hurtful or harmful for them. And in those cases, I say what I see and then I leave it to grown folks to make a grown folks decision. I, what I mean by that is I emotionally detach. Once I tell you what I see, and when I, once I tell you what the problems might be, then I have to emotionally detach and let you, my, and, and at least in my case, my, my sons, let you make the decision on your own. It's your heart, your life, your relationship. This is you. I'm not dating this person. I'm not proposing to this person. I won't be married or living to this person. And after I tell you what I see, and you still want to do what you want to do, then you go ahead and do that. I'll be there to support you if you guys win or if you lose. <laughs> that has to be your position. See, it's fine to say something, but it's not fine to say something if you believe that what you have to say should be or is going to be the last word, because it's not. Your son is going to do what he wants to do. And he may not be in a position yet to see what it is you've observed. And that's okay. Your job is to love your son even when he makes a mistake. And he may marry someone that you believe is incongruent for his life. That's a choice that he gets to make. The worst thing you can do is to sort of harbor on this, harp on this, dwell on this, drill down on this, and make your entire relationship about your son now revolve around this woman. Because that's how you're gonna lose him quicker in the arms of her. Just think about that. All right, someone sent me a video. Let's take a look at this one. Hey, Dr. Sean, my name is Nick and I have a question. Do you think it's selfish to put yourself first? Interesting question. Um, is it selfish to put yourself first? Um, it can be, which is why I want to invite you to change the language, to stop thinking about it as putting yourself first, because putting yourself first all the time might make you a little narcissistic. Loving yourself never makes you selfish. Taking care of yourself, protecting yourself, being good to yourself never makes you selfish. But at the same time, you can't be so wrapped up into what you want that you ignore other people and the legitimate needs and concerns of the people around you. So it's not putting yourself first. It's loving yourself and being compassionate and attentive to the other people in your life. And those two things are not in competition. They're not mutually exclusive. Both things can be happening at the same time. I can be caring about you and loving you and supporting you while at the same time being good to me.
And so I don't have to sacrifice the goodness that I give to myself in order to present the kindness that I want to offer to you. I want you to take it out of that binary dualistic thinking and to see it as you being clear that unless you show up, none of the benefits associated with you can show up, but that once you show up, you're not the only person that matters. You follow what I'm saying? I don't want you to get to the place where you think that, well, if it's not the way that you want it or the way that you believe or the way that you think, then something's wrong with the world. It just means that people are different than you. See, that's what we've lost in this culture. The idea that people can fundamentally disagree and still love and care about us. So love yourself, right? Be good to yourself. But at the same time, recognize that there are other people in the world to whom and for whom you have a responsibility to be good to as well, right? Never to the degree that you sacrifice or kill yourself for them, but always to the degree that you don't reduce the world down to you. All right, got one more for you. I recently discovered that my mother is dating my ex-boyfriend. Should I confront her about going behind my back and doing something like this? Or should I tell my ex to leave my mother alone? <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> I hear that this happens a lot, by the way. We were talking up in the booth and apparently this happens. So if I were you, I wouldn't waste my time talking to the ex because you know, he ain't going to listen. But talk to your mom. Talk to your mom and tell her how you feel and tell, you, tell her how her decision has made you feel and what position has put you in. Your mom needs to hear that. Your mom needs to know that there are consequences and repercussions for her choices that don't just extend to her, but to the people that she loves and cares about. But the other thing and the other reason you got to talk to your mom is because there's a reason why this guy is your ex that your mother may not know about. And you need to fill your mom in on the parts of the story about this guy's behavior and character and loose association with integrity that may protect your mother from dealing with what you had to survive. You should talk to your mother so that your feelings get heard, but you should also talk to your mother so that she's protected from somebody who you had to eject out of your life. Because no matter who your ex is, there's a reason why they're not in your life anymore. And I always invite and tell people, remember why you left before you get to running back and inventing something that never really happened. There's a reason why y'all ain't together no more. And your mother may be wrapped up in things that someone of a certain age sometimes gets wrapped up into, and she may not be able to see as clearly as you can. Just remember all the times when you were younger and she had grace and mercy and steered you in correctness and give her some of what she gave you in another season of your life. That's what loving somebody is about. It's a strength exchange. When I am weak, 
I lean on your strength. And when I am strong, I give some of it to you. So give your mom some of your strength and a lot of background information. <laughs> we'll be right back with a new segment. Here's what doesn't make sense. Got it right this time. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. So I scoured the newspaper, the news, just to find things that don't make sense. So here's what doesn't make sense. Play the bumper, Hiley. I like that bumper. You know, it's not real newsy. All right. Here's what doesn't make sense. Somebody tell me why Steve Bannon has only been sentenced, or has only been sentenced, rather, to four months in prison after he defied a subpoena from the United States House of Representatives. That don't make no sense. Please explain this to me, and I'll tell you why. In the state of California, the maximum sentence if, that you get for lying in a courtroom is four years. So if you go to a courtroom in California and you sell a lie in that courtroom, commit perjury, the maximum sentence is four years. And you mean to tell me that Steve Bannon can completely ignore a subpoena, act like Congress didn't require him to come in, and he gets four months? So I get four years for lying and only four months for ignoring the United States House of Representatives. Who knew that you could ignore the government and, you know, won't cost you much. You're getting more trouble lying to California than you do for ignoring Congress in D.C. See, Steve Bannon is a part of the crew that fermented, organized, thought about the insurrection that happened on January 6th, and he's facing four months. See, to all my non-black and brown friends who wonder what black and brown people think about justice in America, let me help you. Here's what we think. Why is it the case that there are some people who don't have to play by the rules and they never get punished? They walk around and do crazy with impunity. You think if I ignored a subpoena that I would just get four months? No! <laughs> they put me underneath the jail. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. See, we're absolutely sick and tired of people get away, and in some cases, literally, with murder. We don't understand why the murder of Eric Gardner is not in jail. We don't understand why the murder of Trayvon Martin is not in jail. We don't understand why the police officer who shot Breonna Taylor is not in jail. And we don't understand why Steve Bannon is just getting four months. You say nothing of the fact that we don't understand why nobody has charged Donald Trump with anything. We don't get it. And we shouldn't have to. We live in a country that's supposed to be based upon laws. And there are too many examples that tell us that in some cases, sometime, that might not be the case. All right, here's something else that don't make no sense. And this story's for the sisters. A recent report came out, a study came out, 
which showed that there's a connection between women relaxing their hair and the increase of uterine cancer. Yes, the study linked the chemicals that straighten hair to the increase of, de of women developing uterine cancer. The story did not say that black women are more susceptible. What it did say was that frequency of use is the thing that makes you more susceptible. And since black women are more often the ones straightening their hair, you connect the dots. And I'm not trying to have a conversation about whether black women should straighten their hair or wear it natural. That's a conversation for black women to have among themselves. I'm simply saying, here's what doesn't make sense. Why is the government allowing people to use a product that would increase uterine cancer? Isn't that the job of the FDA to make sure that products are safe and that people don't get cancer from straightening their hair? What's the FDA doing? Somebody needs to get on their job and try to figure out how, that, that we don't use products that are damaging our futures. Because here's what I know for sure. Sometimes when you love somebody, you have to protect them from what they want. Because sometimes what we want may be what we desire, but it may not be ultimately what's good for us. And I'm not just talking about straightening hair. I'm talking about loving someone enough to be able to tell them that what you're doing may be what you wish, but it might not make you well. All of us have a moral responsibility to tell the people in our lives the truth. And we say that, and we say that truth rather in honesty and in compassion. Not because we want confrontation, but, we, but because we want transformation and we want the people in our lives to live. So to all the sisters out there who are straightening your hair, be aware of these products, because the last thing I want for you is for you to have to pay the price of giving your life for the possession and the prize of your hair. Because I know a lot of black women who love to straighten their hair, but I also know none of them are willing to die for it. And for the few of you who might be, that's not about your hair. That's about white supremacy. That's about you thinking that beauty can only happen for you one way. When the truth of the matter is, you'd be beautiful if you were bald-headed. Right, everybody? Listen, I had a great show tonight. I'm grateful for Nadia being here. And I'm grateful for you getting an opportunity to see this journey. The journey of someone coming to terms with the fact that she has to be a little more acquainted with the story and not just with the beliefs. See, I have a very strong belief system and a strong value system, but I never lead with that. I don't invite you into my beliefs until I've told you something about my life. You need to know the mountains I've climbed and the valleys I've survived so that you have a context by which to see what I believe. Give people that, huh? Give people the privilege of that, because when you do that, they can love you even more. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad you were here. I'll be back. We got an end of the week show. 
I can't wait to see you next time. Y'all be good to each other, all right? Be kind and loving and decent and all of that. And remember, if nobody else has told you, I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. How about that?